When you smell something familiar that you love, it makes you smile. And everyone needs to smile more. That's the reason we get up in the morning. Life in Sense. I get to have the greatest job in the world. Going around the world, literally, and looking for great smells to introduce to other people. It's a fabulous way to spend your time. I'm Mark Krames, the Chief Executive Officer of Demeter Fragrance Library. We make over 300 fragrances that are inspired by real objects and experiences. One of the things that's been so interesting in Life and Sense is often when we have a guest on, we are asking them about the smells that they just absolutely wouldn't be able to do without. And a lot of them, a lot of the guests have come up with the same things. You know, they'll say, I love the smell of cut grass, or I love the smell of bonfires, um, or I love the smell of kind of suntan oil. They're often smells that they have had with them throughout their whole lives, and they're very nostalgic about them. And we thought, are people you know, really unoriginal, or is it more that you can kind of hone down this sort of library of smells that people really love? Well, I, I think there's two aspects to it. The first is, I think there is a commonality. It's not a coincidence that people are drawn to the same smells, and I think that that's partly hardwiring, partly cultural. But I think even more than that, in the, the busy, multitasking, high-speed, urbanized environments that we tend to live in, you don't stop to appreciate those other smells. So those things that we picked up when we were younger, they're, they're imprinted on us and we love them, but we spend so much time today running past the beautiful smells around us, and uh, it, it takes focus to step back, just like for anything else, just like to enjoy a piece of music. Or, or look at a tree in the park, or, or I happened to go through Bushy Park uh, the other day, and I had no idea that there were herds of deer in there. And it was an amazing experience, but only because I allowed myself to stop where I was going to and what I was doing and appreciate it. Well, I think with smells, with all the, the scents we're inundated with every day, that's even harder to do. We turn it off, we don't open ourselves up to it. But if we do, it's beautiful. You, you may notice infants, they're not offended by the smell of feces. We learn that that's an offensive smell. And so I think we also learn the things that make us comfortable. Uh, and certainly wood smoke would be a great example. Who doesn't have a wonderful memory if they had a fireplace in the house of sitting around on a cold winter's night by a fire with mom and dad and, and whatever? Those, those are the most comforting moments in our life. And it's not surprising that as a, the communal group that we are, that we share those experiences. When we make a fragrance at Demeter, I'm trying to do two things. I'm trying to make it wearable, but I'm also trying to reach into that collective memory. It has to smell enough like that object that people will recognize it and respond to it in that communal way. When you're developing new fragrances, there must be some that you think you'd love to do, but maybe they're a little obscure or niche. How do you know when something's going to have enough appeal to sell? I try not to worry about it too much. I take the attitude that if we make a great fragrance, it will sell. 
Sometimes I'm wrong, and that's just part of doing business. But if we limit ourselves, we'll miss more than we'll make mistakes. One of the things, as Denver has gotten a little bit bigger, that's been a lot of fun for us, is introducing smells from different cultures. So there are things that we've drawn from our Chinese experience we've introduced now in the United States. There's very significant American cultural fragrances that we're now bringing to the UK. That's become one of, one of my favorite things to do, is that discovery process. Our top-selling fragrance in China, for example, is linden flower. I have no idea why. But it, and it's, and it's a, a floral that does not sell particularly well anywhere else, but it captured the Chinese imagination. Our jasmine was inspired by a trip to China when I experienced an old vine Japanese tea growth. And it was spectacular. And that became the jumping off point for thinking about jasmine in a different way than I had in the past. I hunt in the most amorphous way possible. So it's not that I'm looking for specific smells. I get the opportunity to travel all around the world open to the possibility. And that's a great way to be because just to survive in today's world, we're, we're, we're so driven to be focused on whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. And I just get to be in the moment. And when it strikes me, it's, it's, it's a, that wonderful creative moment. I was in Taiwan. We were at a glass factory, actually. And after a couple hours of meeting through translators, which is a very tedious process, I needed to clear my head. So we went outside, and I went for a walk around the factory. And on either side of this factory, there were rice patties. And I've been trying to do a rice fragrance for years without success. And I just happened to walk down the, the, the berm in the middle of this rice paddy, and it struck me. The sunshine, the water, the young green shoots coming up. The, the, the really zen of the whole experience hit me like, like a like a ton of bricks. And a fragrance that I've been working on for five years without success, all of a sudden we had rice patty in two weeks. It was that perfect confluence of all those elements. And I got exactly what I wanted. But it, it, it's, it was about not looking for that at that moment. It was about being open to the possibility. I do is uh, I almost think about it like translation. I'm not a trained perfumer myself and although I do a portion of the blending that we do, that's not really what I do. I'm more of what we call in the industry an evaluator. Someone else does the work, I give them direction and then I modify. So in a, in a real sense, what I feel like is a translator, speaking the language of normal people, I can translate into the technical language of the perfumer. And that together with 
some technology that we use called headspace technology, which allows us to actually develop a chemical fingerprint of a smell, together with the perfumer's art and, and, and the words and language to drive that into a certain place, gets us usually where we want to go. Some, sometimes I put things down for years and then go back to them. Sometimes it's a matter of, of, of just timing, that something's complete, but it may not be right. It's not on trend right now. And we do go through cycles and trends commercially, and I try and be obviously cognizant of those. Earliest smell memory, do you have one? It, you know, I, it, it's interesting because I don't think scent played a tremendous role in, in, in my youth, although there are a few things. Uh, my grandmother's baking. I have very powerful memories, both chocolate and vanilla scents from her, from her baking, which we've which I've been able to introduce uh, one of those. The, our Demeter vanilla cake batter is absolutely driven by my memories of her. And I would love to be able to do her chocolate cake, but I can't get it. I, I haven't been able to recreate it. Um, what was so special about that chocolate cake? Uh, quite honestly, I think she was used ingredients that just aren't available anymore. You, you know, 50 years ago, we weren't quite so careful about the source of our uh, ingredients or its purity or its uh, clarity, and uh, but they sure tasted better. <laughs> and I saw so I can't find the materials to recreate that smell. It had a richness and a depth that I just haven't been able to hit. Probably the secondary ones are the summers of my youth uh, up in the mountains near where I live. And that's driven a lot of, of the commercial work that we've done over the years. I find that one of the things that was so attractive to me about Demeter to begin with was that the original effort was to capture the smells of nature. And they are so multitudinous. There, there's so many possibilities and so much beauty. And that really drove me, and that came out of my teenage years, no question about it. I grew up in New York and just outside the city, but the parts that really stick with me are those summers spent away from the city, in nature, more immersed in an environment that was about natural smells. My nature, as my interest developed, my sense of smell became uh, my, my favorite sense. It, and I believe that, you know, there's a lot of evidence that our strongest emotional reactions are to our sense of smell. And I think I was just probably wired that You know, I didn't start wearing cologne much until I was in my 20s, but I was very aware of my environment from an olfactory standpoint pretty early on. And it always had more impact, I think, on the way I felt than on what I saw or read or otherwise experienced, uh, always had a heavy impact on my emotions, and still does. Was there anyone in particular where you remember them most or relate to them most through the perfume they wore or the...? I think there's two. Uh, one uh, was my grandmother, not the baking grandmother, the other grandmother. Uh, very, very strong sense of Shalimar. And to this day, when I smell Shalimar, I think of her very fondly. It's, uh, you know, women had signature scents back in the day in a way that they don't now. So I don't know that that's something that's as common as it was in my youth, but I can't smell Shalimar without thinking about my father's mother. And uh, a fragrance that I made that 
has become the signature fragrance of my wife. And I can't smell that without thinking of her, and I can't be with her without thinking of that fragrance. They're very, very tied together. If smell is a driver for you, and clearly it is for me, it's become not just my, my avocation, my profession, uh, there is no more intimate communication than to make a fragrance for someone you love. Recently, we went on a uh, family vacation to Alaska just a month ago. And Alaska uh, truly is the final frontier. It, it's uh, something I never really experienced to that degree. And you get 30 miles out of Anchorage, and it's like turning the clock back 2,000 years. And I was so taken with the fresh crispness, the, the it was the freshest air I've ever smelled. And so we, uh, while I was there, we worked on uh, an Alaskan mountain air fragrance. And I'm in love with it. And we're going to launch it, I think, in February. January or February, I, I can't recall. One of the most personal developments I've ever done. And uh, just happy to share that. Uh, it, those are the kinds of inspirations that I get to look for. And when we find them, we just have to jump on it right at that moment. The first fragrance I wore was Ralph Lauren's Polo, which I still love to this day. I think it's one, a true classic. Uh, one of the one of the first really great herbaceous green scents uh, then and today. So was that pretty much it through your twenties? You were loyal. Probably that that was probably it for about five years, and then when I actually got into the fragrance business, I discovered Halston Z14, which I think is the greatest fragrance ever made for a man. I don't know that one. And uh, very American. I, I, it did have a presence, and, and it's an old fragrance. I mean, we're going back 40 years. And, and it's, the, the, that company's been through a lot of hands, and it's now actually a mass fragrance in America, but gorgeous. The, the original version was absolutely fantastic. Was your first job in the fragrance industry? Uh, I was actually, I'm a lawyer by training, and my first job was general counsel for a fragrance distributor. So I, was, I did not start out in the fragrance industry on the fragrance side. Uh, I was doing legal work, uh, then I moved into management, but it was probably, I was probably in the industry almost 15 years uh, before I started actually getting involved in fragrance development. The job of an evaluator is something you only find out about if you really start digging. You know, everyone hears about perfumers, but evaluators have such a fascinating role as well, and it never really gets talked about. Yeah, and, and it's a big job. Uh, perfumers are generally by nature chemists. They're, uh, the great ones are chemists who are artists, but there's only a handful of them. The good ones are, are chemists 
And the evaluator plays this bridge role between the language that normal people use to describe their experiences and can translate that into language that the chemist can understand, that the perfumer can work with to try and bring that uh, vision to reality, which is a particular interesting thing in Demeter because we take a different point of view on fragrance because we're reality inspired, very different from the fantasy interpretive inspiration that perfumers are used to working with. So evaluation for us is a very big deal because we're driving these perfumers to places that they don't normally go. I suppose listeners might be interested to kind of picture when, when you go to the lab to evaluate, I think people often think they're really sort of smelly places, but often they're not, are they? Or they're well, it's actually quite the opposite. Um, when, you, when I go out to, to some of our, our suppliers to test materials with them, we actually go into, into a clean room, a smelling room, where the scent is pumped in and then vacuumed out so you can then smell the next one. So it's quite the opposite. When, when you're focusing on things at that level of detail, it's very, very precise and you don't have any distractions. What was the first um, piece of evaluation you did? Uh, I would say the first one that I did was for Pierre Cardin. I, I was running a company that was, in America was the licensee for Pierre Cardin and was making new fragrances uh, to accompany the classics that he had done. And that was a truly terrifying experience because you're talking about me as a, a novice evaluator slash perfumer going to one of the great fashion icons of the 20th century who is not the easiest man to work with in the world and say, this is my vision of what we want to do with your legacy. That is a terrifying experience. And was Mr. Cardan satisfied with your work? Eventually. The first time that I presented to Monsieur Cardin, uh, we went into his offices. I met with his operating officer. We sat, we waited, he came into the room. I will tell you, I was overwhelmed. I was starstruck to begin with. He smelled the fragrance, took a deep breath, uh, and I was sitting at that point across the table from him. Got up, walked back around the desk, squeezed my shoulders, and walked out of the room. And his operating officer said, well, the meeting is over. We think you have more work to do. So with a squeeze of the shoulder is this isn't good, what did you get when it was good <laughs> Now, I, I, I got, I got uh, lunch at, um, oh, what's the name of the, uh, the restaurant he owns? Just escaped me. Very, very, Maxime's. When I, when I got the fragrance right, I got taken to lunch at Maxime's. When it comes to trying to find a kind of verisimilitude or a fidelity to things in nature or in life, what's, when you're creating a fragrance, um, which ones have um, eluded you the most that you are desperate to be able there to do? There are two things, maybe three, that I've been working on for a long time. 
that have eluded us. And generally, they have some commonality. And, and the, the three are baby's head, uh, puppy's breath, bacon, and, and actually a fourth, baked bread. And the reason for the first three, uh, the puppy's breath, baby's head, and bacon, is because is twofold. First of all, recreating those large organic molecules with the materials that were permitted to use uh, on the skin is really hard. We just don't have the right palate to start with, uh, which which obviously makes it very you know difficult starting point. Uh, with baked bread, it's absolutely a, a, a material issue. You can make great environmental baked bread smells, but not with the materials we can use on the skin. And the other is, it's, it's just with those organic molecules, they're so complex. And so try, trying to find a place where you can reduce them to where they're manageable and yet be true, we just haven't been able to do it. Uh, and our poll store, whenever we try and make a fragrance, is it has to be recognizable by the majority of people and wearable. So we're not really trying to do something that's identical to that. We want it to be familiar enough to evoke that memory, but yet be modified enough so it's something you would want to wear and not just smell. So have you ever tested baby's head by getting a load of parents in a room? Do you go around sniffing baby's heads? How does that one work? I'm more than happy to sniff baby's heads. And I, I work on my grandson whenever possible. <laughs> but um, the, uh, we don't do any paneling. Uh, one of the things, and, and I don't want to talk too much about the perfume industry because I know that's not really why we're here, but it's uh, too many things have become just the same. Part of the reason that things have gotten so alike is because fragrance has become a big company industry and everything's paneled. We don't panel anything. I'm, I'm willing to give you my vision and hope that you like it. And if you don't, I'm okay with that. We'll have another one next month. If you don't do panelling then, could I make some suggestions for new fragrances and then based on your gut feel, a yay or a nay? You yeah. You're not going to be held to manufacture these at all, but just humour us. Uh... You know, we get a lot of email suggestions every week. As a matter of fact, I, I keep my, email, my personal email and another one sends suggestion is up on our website so people write me all the time and I respond to as many as I can uh, and it's it's fascinating to me so yes absolutely the smell of old computers from the and electronic equipment from the 80s people ask for those kind of smells all the time those plastic baby dolls uh, computers new iPad and I've shied away from those and the reason is People, I call them industrial smells, and people do like those smells, but I don't think they're wearable. Uh, and we are a wearable fragrance company, and while the nature of what's wearable changes, that one hasn't struck me yet. Have you done hairspray? We've, uh, we actually have developed a hairspray, and the only reason we haven't commercialized it is, is hairspray scents are very particular. While there was sort of a general idea, they're very particular to the brand. So I think I would only do that 
if we did it in conjunction with the license so we could use a name with a very particular recognizable scent. So that's really a commercial issue. Cave. That's something that would interest me. Uh, and we do a number of fragrances that, that deal with the, that rock, earth, water, cold. Uh, New Zealand's probably in that neighborhood, but it's much greener and warmer. So, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Another one that may be a little bit um, divisive, when we're doing the interview in the daytime here at the nightclub in Leicester Square, is the smell of a club. I've sort of stayed away from that. One, because I'm not sure that there's really a general accommodation to that. And if there is, I'm not sure that it's wearable or even that you would want to wear it. It's sort of like uh, one of the things I get asked about a lot is beer. And my response to that is I've spent most of my life trying not to smell like beer. So I just, it's hard for me to envision that I would want to make a fragrance like that. And I think sort of nightclub that uh, falls into a similar kind of connotation. You mentioned not being so keen on industrial smells, but often it's industrial smells that are the ones that are becoming obsolete as new technologies come in. So, for example, um, I don't know if this would come in the category, but typewriter ribbon or the smell of photo-developing fluid. They would. I, I happen to get, I, don't, I don't know if the word translates, but mimeograph a ditto machine. I get asked for all the time, which is that old-style 60s ink that we used to use to make copies before we had the kind of uh, digital copiers that we have now. Uh, and like I said, I don't know if that's just an American thing or not, but I get asked for that all the time and say no. Should we be thinking that fragrances or smells need some kind of archiving, or is that um, pointless? It's, it, you know what, it's, I ha I've never thought about it, quite honestly. And I think that, uh, like many other things, each generation relates, because I believe scent is primarily learned, and a cultural phenomena, the archiving is not as meaningful. Each generation, each scent, each culture redefines that for themselves. Do you think that future generations would care about the smells that we have around us now that are very particular to our place and time? I think yes, and I think in that kind of context, uh, certain kind of, uh, so archiving for the sake of archiving doesn't mean much to me, but uh, we've actively worked with museums all over the world to scent certain kind of exhibits to give that extra dimension to, uh, to understanding a time. Because how a place smells is important to understanding its context. Uh, so we've done things for people, uh, from museums, from, from rotting fish to leather tanning, not always pleasant smells. So that's a whole sort of different project, but it fits in with the idea that our mission is to, to make scent available. And, 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 and part of that is an educational mission. So we'll, we'll go out of our way to try and accommodate those things. And I think that that is another level of understanding, of perceiving. So what are some of the other um, uses to which you've sold or donated or created fragrances? Uh, we've done work with um, scent memory and dementia patients in Australia and the United States. We have scented several art exhibits, uh, in, including uh, an installation that uh, Alan Fallon did at the Irish Muse National Museum a few years ago, 
uh, that was customized for uh, uh, an installation he did to send an entire room. That's really interesting to us because it demonstrates, again, another level of the role scent plays in our lives that people don't always appreciate. Uh, the whole idea for us, we want to make people literally stop and smell the roses. And so if you can smell things in contexts that you normally might not experience scent, it opens up the mind to the possibilities. We do have a, a tendency, I think, in history to, to do history by famous people and great men and, and uh, great women. And, but so much of history is about our day-to-day -day lives, and, and that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes because it's harder to get your hands around. What smells do you associate with London? You know, we have a sticky toffee pudding that we made, which was absolutely probably my strongest scent memory, or, or sense memory of, of London, because I like that stuff. But uh, so that's the one that drives me most directly. I did have an experience I really haven't had before. I spent some time the other day walking along the Thames, which as, as much as I've been here, it's always been so hectic. I never really allowed myself to, to enjoy it a little bit more. And I'm actually planning on going uh, on spending the whole day tomorrow on the river, and I'm really looking for, for, for some inspiration for something that, that, that captures that experience. If I can find it, I, I would like to, like to work on it. What has been the most moving piece of correspondence you've had from a customer? We, I had a woman write to us, uh, write to me personally, actually, her father, who had passed away, always gave her junior mints. And that when she got married, she used our junior mint fragrance on herself and to her bridesmaids. And it made her feel as if her father was there. And, and I sat there at my computer choking up and tearing. And, and, it, and it absolutely, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It absolutely validated everything we did. You've been listening to Life in Sense.